0: How many kids do we have here this morning, eight and under? Raise your hand, children, if you're eight and under. So at Selwood Baptist Church, we have age-targeted ministry programming during the sermon for kids up through eight years old, and I'm just excited to have you kids with us today. And I want to say this to all the children, that this is an opportunity for you to to grow up in the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to reverence God's word, to obey God's word, to listen to God's word with your parents and with those sitting around you, with the church, and to really to be called to maturity and to think about these things. So try to follow along. And if you have questions, children, ask your parents after, what did this word mean? Or what did the pastor mean when he said this or that? Um, And ask uh, you can come and talk to me, too, or or one of your other pastors. So I'm excited that you're here with us today. Um, what an awesome time this has been together. I've really, I'm already looking forward to next year's camp out. I'm already just really thankful for this time with you all, the conversations that we've had, the fun we've had. Um, I think Selwood Baptist Church did pretty well in the competitions overall. I mean, gathering, you guys did very well. You guys did very well. Um, but what brings us together is not the competitions and the games. It's not even the good times. It's, it's Jesus. We're gathered around Jesus. We're gathered around a common faith and what God has done for us in Christ. And so this is really the heart, right? What we're doing now is the heart of even the whole camp out. It's the heart of everything we do, looking to Jesus as he reveals himself to us in his word. Um, and, and celebrating what he's done for us in the gospel. And, and therefore, it's the heart of what, why we've gathered together in the, in the camp out as churches. And so even though we've had uh, a time of prayer, I'm going to just specially plead right now that God would reveal himself to us afresh in his word, that God would just give us a tender heart towards his word, and that he'd speak to us, that he would accomplish what we can't accomplish for ourselves in this next 25 minutes. So let's, let's pray uh, once again, just asking for that grace. Lord, we do want you. That's what we want. We don't wanna just add to ourselves knowledge or doctrine or new insights. We want to see you afresh. We want more of you, Jesus. Would you please be pleased to reveal yourself to us, to give us more of you? Lord, for those of us young or old, Lord, who have not seen you, who have not beheld you from our hearts and had, had loving affections for you as we were created to do. For those of us who have not had that happen to us yet, Lord, would you be pleased to grant that miracle this morning, at this time, to, to bring your people home, Lord, just to, to bring us a fresh vision of you, Lord, and would you renew all of us in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's an interesting time for both actually Selwood Baptist Church and for the Gathering Church. Uh, Matthew and I met before um, and Severin and some of the other pastors met before and just kind of meditating on what God is doing in each of our churches. And Matthew and I talked about what would be a good thing to look to on Sunday morning as far as in God's word so here, here's a little bit about what's going on in both of our churches so that all of us know what's happening and some of the commonalities here. The Gathering Church and Lentz Baptist Church just recently approved a church merger. Praise the Lord. Let's, God has done a work. I'm really excited about this. Um, I know you guys are excited about this too. I think uh, the Lord has really paved the way for this to happen. It just, this seems like a God thing. Um, and yet it brings all kinds of new challenges and new possibilities. Um, so in, in pulpit ministry, the gathering church has been looking to God's word in a study of life together in the church, bringing both those churches around again. What is the church and what should we be doing? What is God doing among us? So here's some of the sermons that uh, the gathering has had lately. What is the church? What is church community was a recent sermon what is the mission of the church, and then in coming weeks, there's going to be a study from the pulpit on the Lord's Supper and baptism, on church leadership and congregationalism, congregational church polity, what it means to be um, be using the authority together as a church that Christ has given to us, and also the gathering church is going to be thinking about things like what do we call ourselves now? That we're both the Gathering Church and Lens Baptist Church. Do we need to change our name or or not? Thinking about remodeling your new building, um, the possibility of schedule changes throughout the week. Is our now that we have, uh, now that you have a twenty four seven facility, is that going to change the rhythms of your gatherings uh, week by week? And and what's really astounding is. Selwood is actually going through a lot of these changes too and thinking about these things. We're thinking about the possibility of a name change. We're actually having a vote on that next Sunday um, about a name change. We're thinking about a weekly calendar change for Selwood Baptist Church too. What's our weekly schedule going to be? Um, We're doing some remodeling, some changing, changing of the facility inside our building. And as Matthew and I thought about this, uh, this church camp out and what would be good to meditate on for the Sunday morning service, we decided that in the midst of talking about all these wallpaper issues, because I want to be clear, all these issues, they're not unimportant issues, but all those things, name, schedule, building, all those are wallpaper issues. There, how many of you read, have read the book Trellis and the Vine*? Okay, a few of you. So the big idea in this book, Trellis and the Vine, is that there's, in every church, there's a trellis. So a trellis is like a, a, a structure, um, kind of a fence structure that a vine grows on, that, that is made to support a vine. So every church has a trellis and every church has a vine. And the goal of the church is vine is having life, is having growth, is having real life in Christ and, and real spiritual life in the Holy Spirit and, and growth by that means. But in order to support that vine, you need things like a meeting time. You need sometimes a facility, a building to meet in. Um, and that's all trellis. The, that's not the, the vine life. That's the trellis that supports the vine. And the goal of the trellis is to support the life of the church You can build a really beautiful building. You can have great programs and have very little vine life and have very little vine life. Or you can have a lot of vine life that's just kind of crushing the trellis and not be a very organized and orderly church where you can have more vine life if you had more better structure and better uh, shepherding as far as meeting and all that kind of stuff. And so the goal is to have a trellis that rightly supports the vine and the vine is the important thing. So all these other issues, they're they're wallpaper issues, they're trellis issues. It's not the vine. And so we wanted to keep our eyes, we as churches on the bigger picture, on the vine, on on really what it is to have life in Christ. What is our purpose? Because it's true that these different while these things are are, are happening in both of our churches, big big deals like name changes and and a new building and weekly calendars that affects all of our lives, there's something much more glorious happening in our churches. There's something much more sweeter, much more beautiful that is happening in our churches that we must not forget, that we have to keep our eyes on in the midst of all the kind of wallpaper and structural changes. And this this is the main idea of what is happening in our churches. Jesus is building... His church Jesus is fulfilling his promise he 's building a people for himself. see what what 's happening is as our churches gather we 're not gathering together around a, 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 a merely a, a theological idea or a common worldview if that 's all we see as we gather as churches, we have similar philosophies on life and similar beliefs and, and that 's why we gather no that 's not it finally, though that 's true that 's not. The big picture. That's not the main thing that's happening. We're not gathering people around a building. That's not really what's happening. Though we gather in buildings, the main idea that's happening is we're not gathering people around a building. We're not gathering people around a common program or championing a program. We're not even gathering people around a way of doing life. We're not gathering people around community, though we're gathering in community. The purpose of our gathering is not community itself. Though a community is here and is being created, the purpose of the church is not community. We're not gathering people around a certain church polity structure, though we have certain beliefs about church polity structure and what Jesus teaches us about that. We're not gathering people around a style of music or a style of singing. We're not gathering people for meaningful friendships. Rather, What's happening as we gather is God is restoring his lordship over his people, over a people, a sinful people. That's why we're gathering. That's what is happening is, is because God has gathered us there and he's restoring his lordship, his original lordship over his people. It's a beautiful thing. And I hope that every time we gather, we can have that vision for what God is doing. You know, that, we're sure that God has brought us here and he is establishing his lordship over us. It's beautiful. Do you understand that this is what the gospel is about? This is what the gospel is about. The lordship of God being realized over people once again through Jesus Christ. The lordship of Christ being realized again over a people. Through Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves but what? Jesus Christ as Lord. He is Lord. He has established His Lordship through His death and resurrection and ascension over His people. He has captured for Himself a people. So right at the outset of this camp out sermon this morning, and it's not gonna be a long sermon, it's gonna be a shorter sermon. I'm going uh, to take a moment to remind you, my brothers and sisters, of this gospel was proclaimed to me for the forgiveness of my sins and eternal life in Christ, and now is all of our lifeblood as churches, once proclaimed to, to you for your forgiveness, and is now your lifeblood. It's what you live for. It's what you're about. And so here's the outline, rough outline for the sermon. First, we're just going to meditate on the gospel, We're gonna remind ourselves of the gospel and what it has to do with the lordship of Christ. Second, we're going to remind ourselves of our primary purpose and our primary tools for accomplishing that purpose. And then third, we're going to recommit ourselves. God's word is going to call us to recommit ourselves to abide in Christ. Just that basic vine life of what God is doing, just abiding in Christ and and enjoying his lordship. So those three points may seem disjointed or uh, separate points, but they all are very much along the same theme, and I I think we're going to see that this morning. So first, the gospel. Let's celebrate the gospel. Let's meditate on the gospel. God created this world. He created the universe and everything in it, and he created it good, and he created it for his glory. He created our first parents, Adam and Eve, in his own image, and he created them good, And he told them to multiply, to fill the earth so that the image of God, all of us, all the people as the image of God would fill the world and fill the world with the glory of God in his image. People created his image that we would fill the world even as the waters cover the seas. So the earth would be filled with his glory. But before Adam and Eve had even produced their first son or daughter, they rebelled against God and chose their own way and and God then subjected this once good and perfect world to futility. He subjected it to futility. Sin entered into the world and, and cancer and AIDS and tornadoes and hurricanes and birth defects and wars and famine. Even as sin fully corrupted the human race, all of these things entered into our world. And now Adam and Eve's offspring were, were no longer born good. We were not born good while we still bear a semblance of the image of god mankind was not born good but born in sin we were all born in sin separated from god with hearts bent against god and all of mankind is therefore now born under god's eternal displeasure under his judgment under his wrath but god was not willing that all of mankind should perish under his wrath, God was determined to restore his lordship over a people. He was determined to have a people that were not bent against him, that were not rebels, that were not under his judgment. He was determined, though we ran the other way, he was determined to have a people under his lordship. For himself. God was determined to have a people who glorify him from the heart, who love him. So the Father, God the Father, sent his eternal Son into the world to add to his perfect divinity a true humanity. And this God-man born into the world became known to us as the man Christ Jesus. Jesus lived a life of perfect communion with his Father and perfect love He had perfect love towards his fellow man. He never once sinned, never once. He never envied what the father had not given him. You realize that in Jesus's earthly life, the father didn't give him everything that his human heart wanted. He was in in relative poverty. I mean, I'm sure there's nights when he would have liked to have shelter and he didn't have it. He never once envied what the Father had not given him. He never coveted another man's possessions. He was never greedy, though he was God. He never told a lie or sought to manage perceptions in a deceitful way, manage what other people thought about him in a deceitful way. He he didn't live under the fear of man. He never looked at a woman lustfully though he was fully acquainted with natural human urges. He never spoke a word to cause another being harm. All of his words, even his harsh words, were with an aim of love. He lived without sin in every way. And yet he came into the world so that at the perfect time he would take upon himself the sins of his people and suffer the father's wrath for people like you and me. He took the sins of his people on himself in such a way that the Bible says he actually became sin. He became the object of God's displeasure, though he he had obeyed the Father in every way and enjoyed communion with the Father. He became sin, and he suffered a horrific death by torture in being crucified, but he suffered much worse under the very wrath of God. But death could not keep him. And on the third day, he rose from his tomb in a glorified body. And after being seen by many witnesses, he ascended into the heavens, and he's now seated at the seat of honor. His name, the Father, is made above every other name. And he sits at his Father's right hand. And he and the Father together now promise us that whoever repents of their sin, trusting in Christ to provide for us what we cannot provide for ourselves, which is, by the way, forgiveness and a heart that receives Christ's lordship, that that really cherishes Christ's lordship. So we trust Christ to provide for us that which we cannot provide for ourselves. All who do this have been made new creatures, and have the Spirit of God residing in them, and will one day rise in a resurrection that is just like Jesus' resurrection to, re- to a remade and renewal, renewed world under God's perfect rule and reign. And I look at this world, as I was down by the creek, and I see these trees, and it is stunningly, breathtakingly beautiful. And, and it pales in comparison to what, that new, renewed, and remade world will be like. This is good news. This is the gospel, and this very reality is being played out in our churches. The church is that people, the family that God has created through his son, forgiving them of their sins, restoring God's lordship over their lives, in right relationship with each other, in right relationship with God. And if all this wasn't enough, the church is not only this people are restored to God's good lordship, but the church is also the means that God uses to restore his lordship to sinners. So now we're into point two. That was point one, meditating on the gospel. Now we're going to talk about our purpose and our means for accomplishing that purpose So the church is not only that people that God has restored, but it is the means that God uses to restore people to himself for for creating the church itself. Yes, it's Jesus who is building the church, but the instrument Jesus uses to build his church is the church itself. Think about that. Jesus is building his church and he's building it through the church. The church is the instrument that God uses to call people from the world under the redemptive lordship of Christ as forgiven sinners. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus' last words is commissioned to us before he ascended to be with his father. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples make disciples of all nations. This is who we are and this is what we do, church. We have been forgiven and brought under God's loving rule. That is who we are. And this is what we do. By God's grace, we make disciples of Jesus. So who we are, we are disciples of Jesus. And what do we do? We make disciples of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we do. We teach others To by the grace of God obey Jesus with a transformed and forgiven heart through the gospel. That's what we do. The church is the people of God and employed in building the people of God. Disciples making disciples. That's at the heart of everything. That's got to be behind all the programs. And why does a program exist? Why do we use a building to make disciples? Because we're disciples. We're making disciples. Now, how do we do it? What is the center of our activity as a church? How do we make disciples? There are two things that are abs- absolutely necessary in this call to make disciples. Two things that are absolutely central and necessary. You can have a church, actually, without elders. I know I, by saying that, I'm, I'm potentially putting myself out of business here. But but you can have a church without elders or pews or an organized church calendar, it might be disorderly and dysfunctional, but it will still be a church. But without these two elements, you cannot have a church. You can have a church without biblical, elder-led congregational church polity. I wouldn't recommend it. It would be disorderly. But it would still be a church. I would argue that you can even have a church if you wrongly administer the ordinances. So our our obviously our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say they baptize people they shouldn't baptize. They're still churches. They are still churches. Um it, and, and, and obviously, at a certain point, when you're wrongly administering the ordinances or failing to administer the ordinances or taking the Lord's Supper together like Quakers do, at a certain, it becomes unhealthy. But I would say it's still a church. But without certain two elements, you cannot be a church and you cannot survive as a Christian. Amid our churches looking at our names, our our church calendars, remodels, amid talking about important things, important things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, and elders. I'm not saying we shouldn't have elders. We should. We need them. but But we can still be a church, a dysfunctional church, a primitive church without them. But oh, may we never neglect these basic, necessary, important of all things in favor of lesser important things. And these two things, are the word of God and prayer. The word of God and prayer. We cannot be churches, and we cannot survive as Christians if we are not given to God's word and to prayer. I want to remind you of what was happening in Acts chapter 6. Verses two through four. It it says here, this is really early on in the life of the church. After Jesus ascended, after the Holy Spirit had fallen, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They were busying themselves with so many other things with wallpaper issues. Important things. People needed to be fed. The widows needed to be taken care of. These were not unimportant things. If they failed to share with the widows among them, They would have been in sin. These are important things. But they said, we're neglecting much more important things than feeding people. Much more important things. The two most basic things. And then they gave the command. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of God's Word. Why? Why those two things? Because without those two things, they're just busying themselves. There's nothing uniquely spiritual about what they're doing. If they're not seeking God in His Word, if they're not communing with the Father in prayer, if they don't have a relationship with God then all of it's futile. They may have the trappings of religion. They may have very successful programs, a good feeding outfit, a good social program, but it's not true Christian spirituality. They're not enjoying communion with the Father. If we do not minister God's word and if we do not pray, there is nothing uniquely Christ glorifying spiritually about us as a people. Second, those Thessalonians chapter three verse one, Paul urges the Thessalonian church. He says, "Finally, brothers, pray, pray, pray for us. Pray for us. Give yourself to prayer. And what, what? are they supposed to pray? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. This is his final. He's finally pray that the word of God would speed ahead." And be honored. That our ministry would thrive. And that takes prayer and the ministry of word. Colossians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4. Paul, One of Paul's final instructions is, at the same time, pray. Pray, he says. He tells the Colossian church to pray. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Prayer and word. To declare, that we would declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer are essential to the ministry of the church. So that's our purpose is we make disciples. We glorify God by making disciples. And the instruments that we use are the word of God and prayer. And this isn't just for the elders of the church the reason why the elders must not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer is because they must set a pace for all of us praying and, and investing our lives in God's word. If you, if you have you know, a busy full-time vocation in you know, and, 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 uh, what they call it, the, the Silicon Forest now on, on the west side uh, of Portland, if you have a busy full-time vocation, that is not an excuse uh, that you, can't, you, you shouldn't invest your life in word and prayer. We know that you have to be given to other things practically and we're thankful that God has employed you in those things uh, but, but you, we must still give ourselves to the ministry of God's word in our families, to each other, to our neighbors and to prayer. But this is not even the main point I believe the Lord wants to impress on us this morning It's but this third point is not mainly the word of prayer as the instrument and the, and the tool for us accomplishing our purpose Rather, I believe the Lord would want us to remember and return to word and prayer, not merely as the mechanism by which we make disciples, not merely as the mechanism for our ministries, but that he would call us to return to his word and prayer because they are central to God's lordship being known in our lives, to that gospel being fulfilled in us, his people he conquers us and jesus rules his church by his word that's how he extends his lordship in us and through us the word and prayer are central to god's lordship being known in our lives so first let's talk about the word in this manner the very first thing that jesus says to us in scripture about the word of god is a quote from deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 and this is what he says in Matthew 4, 4, quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He's, he's in the wilderness temptation. And there's good reason to believe that. So this is the first thing he does after baptism. He's led by the Spirit into 40 days of wilderness temptation and fasting. And he quotes, all his quotes that he quotes back to Satan to, to, to in order to resist temptation are from the book of Deuteronomy. And all of them are around the the parts in Deuteronomy that are referring to Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness when they failed to believe and they failed to obey. And Jesus is now 40 days in the desert. And he's the real Israel. He's the true, he's the faithful Israelite. And he's meditating on the failure of Israel, why he came. He came because we failed. And he came to be the victor. And he's meditating on this. And he's praying, I believe. He's looking to the book of Deuteronomy saying, Lord, uphold me, Father. Make me the victor for your people. Make me to be the victor, though they failed. Let me be their victor. And he's meditating and he's drinking in God's word. He's meditating on the book of Deuteronomy. And the first thing he quotes is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, this is the first time he's talking about the word of God in the whole Bible. This is the first thing that Jesus says about the word of God in the whole Bible. It's not use the word in ministry, but it's this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Before the word is ministry, the word is bread the word is food. It is our nourishment. It is what we must live on. We cannot survive as churches. We cannot survive as Christians unless we are feasting and feeding on God's word, unless we are nourished in fellowship with God in his word, unless it is bread to us, even as it was bread to Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Are we abiding in his word? Are we truly his disciples? Abiding. He didn't say, if you preach my word, you are truly my disciples. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. In John 15, verses 5 through 11, Jesus says, I'm the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and and my words abide in you, that's what he's saying it means to abide in him. My words are abiding in you and you're abiding in me by abiding in my words and my words are in you. It's your life, it's your bread. There is no seeking Christ apart from seeking him in his word. The word of God is the only place that Jesus has revealed himself to us. It's why we got to bring this to foreign lands. It's why John and Laura are in India. It's because they need to bring this word because they're not going to know Jesus unless they have this. And Matthew, now, so that's the word of God. And thinking about we must know Jesus and his word, but, but what about prayer? What about prayer? Here's the first thing that Jesus says about prayer just two, verse, two chapters later. Matthew chapter six, verses five and six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room Shut the door, pray to your father, who is in secret, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you see we it's so tempting in everything we do to want to be rewarded by others and and this is especially true in the church i you know I want you to think i'm a really spiritual guy, and you want me to think i'm you're real spiritual too and and this can this can you know go to the forefront. Well, this can be the way, the reason why we do what we do. This can be the reason why we pray, it could be the reason why we read God's word, but then we are not truly having the spiritual reward. Do you know it is a reward in itself to know communion with the Father. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not talking about, what, like he's talking about later, you're storing up rewards for future. No, in secret prayer, just knowing the Father. Talking to the Father. What a reward you have. Those of you, those of us who are, are, are able to, to, to go before God and bear our souls to Him and speak to Him as our Father, to unload our burdens, to talk to Him in prayer secretly, not so that anyone else can see it, but so that we can know our Father, so we can know God. What a reward! And how we starve ourselves of this reward. We starve ourselves of the word and of prayer. Jesus prayed. If anybody didn't need to pray, it would seem like Jesus didn't need to pray, but he prayed. It seems like he's praying all the time. Just a survey in the book of Luke. Luke chapter three, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, Jesus is being baptized and he's praying. He's praying to the father as he's being baptized and the heavens open up. It was too, the father couldn't pass this up. He opens the heavens to speak to his son. This is my son, the one that's praying to me right now in whom I am well pleased. And the spirit descends on him like a dove. Jesus abided in the Father in prayer. Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places, secret places to pray. Luke 6, 12, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Luke nine eighteen. now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So he's praying alone, hiding out, and, and just trying to find a way away from his disciples to pray. Luke 9.28, now about, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Luke chapter 11.1, 1. now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he'd finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 22, verses 40 and 41, and when he came to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he withdrew and prayed. <laughs> pray. I'm going to go pray. <laughs> this is Jesus. He prayed. He loved to spend time with his father. And there's more. But, and this was the pattern of the first church. When Jesus was taken from, from them, he ascended to be the father. What did they do? When they had entered, they went to the upper room and they prayed. In Acts chapter 1. In Acts two forty two, after the spirit descended and the church was made, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the prayers. These things mark the church because they also are the marks of a relationship with Jesus. I, I want to encourage us. I want to cr- encourage us to be vulnerable. Children, I want to encourage you to think about, and all of us, Are we marked as as people of the word in prayer because we love God, because we're seeking Jesus, because we don't want to starve ourselves of fellowship with the Father? And and if we say no, just to be honest with ourselves, it doesn't do us any good to, to just pass over the question or give a false answer. But if we say, no, that doesn't really mark me, then just ask, Do we have a heart that feeds, that that is is nourished not on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Because this is what the regenerate heart is nourished by. This is what a saved person... Now, I'm not saying that saved people can't starve themselves of spiritual nourishment, but you will feel that hunger. You will know that you're starving yourself, and you will run to return to God's word and prayer. And so I want to call us... For us to be, as we're changing all the wallpaper and the gathering elders want to call us and, and the Selwood elders want to call us to, as we're changing the wallpaper on our churches, as we're fixing up the trellis, to not neglect the vine, to not neglect the vine, to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Elders, we need to do this. We need to not neglect, as we're talking about name changes, all these things, in our elders meetings, we need to not neglect the vine. In our discipleship groups, we need to not neglect the vine. Abide. Don't neglect abiding. You've heard the old saying, you can have religion without relationship. That's basically the summary of this sermon. We can have an outward, outward trapping of religion without a true relationship with Christ. Let's know that relationship. And so... Let's celebrate Jesus. Let's hunger for him. Let's ask him to stir our hearts to hunger for him as we sing two more songs in closing this morning. And I'll pray as Severin comes up. Lord, would you give us hearts that are nourished by you in the ministry of the word and prayer. Would you give us hearts that, that just will go to you, that run to you, no matter how prayerless we've been, no matter how, how much sin or how distracted we've been, that now we would run to you and we would just cry to you from the heart, Lord, Lord, forgive us and cause us to be nourished again by your word. Give us that daily bread from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.